And then Giles and I started talking. He's also going in and remixing the Red and the Blue album with all those tracks laid out separately. Because now they can give him five tracks of drums. Oh, wow. And I've heard remixes before, but this sounded so live. It sounded like Imagine Dragons, except it was the Beatles. You know, it was that well recorded. It's also like we hear so much, uh, so many reasons to fear technology, to be scared of yeah. what it's going to do or to be upset. I'm very scared of this. <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. I would say that 25 years ago, Reddy, very few people would have imagined that stuff recorded on one mic could ever be separated. I think that it just has already been yeah. pulled in. So you, you don't think you could know you could pull the tracks out. In a way that would sound clean. Yeah. I, yeah. But it's just that a machine can learn the difference. I mean, you know that your ears can do it. Yeah. You hear John and Paul on one mic. Yeah. And you can tell that's John and that's Paul. But he played us some stuff that he'd remixed. And it was John and Paul, but instead of being in the stereo mix, yeah. instead of being on the same mic like they've always been for my whole life, yeah. they were like a foot apart. I mean, you, you, you can't imagine the difference that is. Welcome to the Chicago Fest for Beatles fans. When they was fab special episode. I'm Ed Chin, and these are Co. <laughs> On my right, the queen of all Beatles media, Kid O'Toole. <laughs> and on my left, the man who will be telling us all about Mel Evans before too too long, Dr. Kenneth Womack. Well, I wanted to call you guys the pips, but they just wouldn't let us do that. Kit and I answered to that. Yeah, absolutely. We have the choreography, too. <laughs> All right, so what we are going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about Greatest Hits and the Red and Blue. Indeed, and everybody has been uh, talking about it recently, and you know, we don't know much uh, yet, of course, about the particulars of that this is going to be released, remixed. Whatever, so we're going to be talking about the history of the Red and Blue albums and what they mean to us, you know, why they have become, I, I hate to use, it's kind of a cliche, iconic, but they have become iconic. 
Well, and it is really the introduction of a lot of people to the Beatles, including Peter Jackson. You know, when I posted this on uh, my Facebook page that we were going to be discussing this, so many people responded and said, oh, this was my gateway to the Beatles, or, you know, that they bought this when it first came out. And, and so I'm sure, you know, hopefully we'll have time for you to share your memories of the Red and Blue albums as well. Okay, let's start with greatest hits as a general concept. Believe it or not, Capitol wanted to release a two-album greatest hit set in 1964. Yeah, I really had no idea about this until uh, you mentioned it. Bruce Beiser has copies of the acetates in his book. Did you know this? I only because of Bruce Beiser. Yeah. Uh, where are you, Bruce? Uh, yeah, I, I saw him a moment ago. He was eating a cheeseburger. But, uh, and I, I want to say wolfing it down. <laughs> that, it's, I'm sure it's gone by now. But um, yeah, no, I wasn't aware of that. And obviously, uh, I, I, I don't know about your first thoughts. To me, it feels like too soon. And uh, I, I just did a bit of work thinking about uh, the collection of Beatles oldies from 1966, which also felt too soon. Um, you know, the idea of compilations and greatest hits albums is a strange concept, right? And uh, I don't know about you guys, I often think they're done badly uh, these days. They're often created in such a way that you have bonus tracks, right? To to try to push the sales, which is exactly what they did exactly. with the collection of Beatles oldies with Bad Boy, right? By including Bad Boy on that album. Um, and a lot of the reviews uh, were pretty rough by saying, I wouldn't have bought this just to get Bad Boy, uh, interestingly. But it's, it's an interesting fractured concept, the idea of greatest hits. But I mean, that goes right back to this aborted 1964 disc. Capital wanted to put out the songs owned by VJ. And so they assembled a disc. Mind you, this was before early Beatles. So, you know, they say, there are these Beatles songs. We want to put them out. How can we do this? And they assembled a Greatest Hits collection. And there's only one little problem with that. <laughs> yeah, that they didn't have, uh, they thought, uh-oh, we don't have the rights to, you know, the VJ stuff. And uh, so they decided, well... You know, we can't exactly put those on the Greatest Hits collection. And so, and as, as you said, uh, Ken, I also thought, yeah, too soon to, to put out one quite that early. Uh, and so they ended up abandoning uh, the project. Well, but the Pirates didn't think it was too soon. No, they didn't. <laughs> uh, as we all know, at the end of 1964, there was a project called Original Greatest Hits. Ooh, uh, they thought they could get away with it, and they actually probably could by not mentioning the Beatles' name anywhere on the label or the cover art, not putting the pictures out, just, you know, our traditional four mop tops. And so it went out, and it's a very rare item these days. It's interesting to note, you know, how this early that the bootleggers and, and so forth were already putting out these greatest hits collections. Before we move into the sets we're really here to talk about, there is 20 Greatest Hits. 20 Greatest Hits is a compilation album featuring a selection of songs by the Beatles that were number one singles. It was released on the 11th of October 1982 to mark the 20th anniversary of the Beatles' first record, Love Me Do. 
20 Greatest Hits was the last Beatles album to be released with variations between the U.S. and U.K. versions. Some Beatle hits in the U.S. were not released as singles in the U.K., such as Eight Days a Week and Yesterday. There is an extremely rare eight-track tape version of this album, but only uh, 10 to 15 copies still exist today. Legend has it that Capitol Records decided to pull the plug on the release at the last minute as eight tracks were not selling well in late 82, and uh, copies uh, were destroyed. Uh, The Canadian LP version of this release include Side One, She Loves You, Love Me Do, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Can't Buy Me Love, A Hard Day's Night, I Feel Fine, Eight Days a Week, Ticket to Ride, Help, Yesterday, We Can Work It Out, Paperback Writer, Side Two, Penny Lane, All You Need Is Love, Hello Goodbye, Hey Jude, Get Back, Come Together, and The Long and Winding Road. That holds a special place in Kit's heart. Yes, indeed. I, I was talking about it earlier today. That was actually not, it wasn't the Red and Blue albums that got me into the Beatles. It was the 20 Greatest Hits collection, which came out in, was 82, I believe. Uh, yeah, it really coincided with the origin of music video. Yeah, uh, because I remembered seeing uh, Love Me Do, uh, they released that as a clip to promote uh, the Greatest Hits collection, and I had it on cassette, I bought it in 85, and that was really being promoted in the early 80s, because a friend of mine, uh, fellow classmate rather, in eighth grade, had that album, brought it into a chorus, eighth grade chorus class I was taking at the time, and they had this collection. And that's what ended up, you know, what, what I had and ended up starting me um, in, in my Beatles fandom. So, so that was sort of my Red and Blue album. And then, well, there's the one that everyone remembers now, which is one. Probably the best-selling album of the last two decades. Yeah, I think so. And again, I was on this, you know, Generations panel earlier today, and and many cited that, you know, younger generations, as that was their gateway. And um, many of my generation, Generation X, they bought that to, to get their kids started on the Beatles. So. In 1964, four men from Liverpool came to America and changed the world forever. from the greatest band in history. All 27 of the Beatles' number one hits available on one CD for the first time ever. Special packaging includes the famous Richard Avedon photos of the Beatles and a 32-page booklet. The Beatles won. 27 number one songs that started a revolution and changed the sound of music forever. To order The Beatles One, call the number on your screen or send $18.98 for CD or $11.98 for cassette plus $4.95 shipping and handling to the address below. Call now. Yeah, my question is why was One Plus so poorly received? I mean, it was great. You had new mixes and you had videos and you had remixes of all the songs on the CD, but no one really seemed to care all that much. 
I don't know if it was poor promotion or if it was, you know, the price. I don't remember how much it was. Um, you know, if it was pricier than the original one collection, it probably was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it certainly that, was. Yeah. You know, part of the issue here is, um, and it's one that I know that they must be grappling with, and that is, you know, the challenge of asking us to keep buying the same content over and over. Yeah even content that has been treated or remixed uh, in some way. I mean, obviously, and I'm, maybe I'm getting too far ahead here, Ed, so just stop No, no worries. Um, you know, obviously, having a, an unreleased track uh, is, is a good way to, to force feed these kinds of new releases. But I remember, you know, Kit brought up the 20 Greatest Hits, and that was the first album that I chose not to buy. You know, I bought love songs. I think I reluctantly accepted rock and roll music. But I, I just saw that and I thought, well, I've got all of this. You didn't need the five-minute version of Hey Jude? I didn't need that. No, I, I, you know, I was content with the longer one. Um, and I, I just found it to be, it, it felt off to me. Uh, and consequently, I, you know, I didn't purchase it. But never have. Uh, it's one of the few I can say that about, and I've, I've bought a lot of the, we all have, right? Let's just, we should be like a self-help group. <laughs> I'm Ken Lomack, and I bought the White Album 12 times, <laughs> and I will buy it again. You know, that, that Men in Black line was very true uh, about buying these albums over and over again. I, I felt like when one came out, and I agree with you, Ed, it was a superior collection, right? Uh, the videos have been just dynamite for me to use in my classes. I think Giles, uh, some of his best remixes, quite frankly, have been part of that. Having said that, I, I wonder if that's where the diminishing returns will kick in. You know, will the third version of the Red and Blue albums suffer that same kind of fate? That was my gateway, by the way, the Red and Blue were an important gateway for me. They were, and, and frankly, they've stood the test of time very, very well. As, as pretty solid collections, you know, I think we have to push ourselves a little bit to imagine the songs that could have been included. The Red Album was the first time for me you was on a capital LP. <laughs> so, you know, something to think about. It was also the first time Hard Day's Night was on a capital LP, but the soundtrack had been available forever. So, okay, why the Red and Blue? How did it come about? It came about because the copyright law in the United States was a little bit muddled in the early 70s. Yeah, apparently like, individual states had control over sound recording copyrights, which really uh, surprised me. So, so the laws were kind of slippery, and apparently New Jersey. Asbury Park, New Jersey. It is your fault, Dr. Kenneth Womack. <laughs> That's typically true. Yeah. <laughs> had some of the, uh, shall we say, maybe lax kind of copyrights, sound recording copyrights. And so that explains why a company in uh, Asbury Park, uh, Audio Tape uh, Incorporated, decided to compile their own greatest hits collection. Does anybody out there other than me own a copy? No, nobody owns a copy. Well, oh, do you, oh, you do, Jim? No, I had a question. Was this the one that they did a uh, two-minute TV spots that showed? That is, that is and correct. That's and one. it aired on ABC. <laughs> okay, then I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I don't own it, but now I know it. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, four discs. And for some reason, they decide the Beatles weren't enough. 
they added solo songs to it. Well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating, and and that yeah, this was openly, you know, advertised, and uh, and the price was very reasonable for what a four album or four LP set. It was like what was it, 1999 or something? Oh, 14.99. Oh, 14.99. My goodness. And yeah, very interesting lineup. That yeah, they threw in um, some solo uh, songs as well. And they put them in alphabetical order for the most part. They had to get the sides to match, and so like everybody's got to be my baby. Ended up closing the fourth disc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a very odd collection. It was called Alpha Omega. Uh, some of you might have heard of this, and I and recently I'm just kicking myself. I recently did have an opportunity to get a copy and I didn't know at the time. I mean I just learned about all this fairly recently and I had an opportunity to get a copy and I and I didn't get it. So uh, well it only matters if it's in good condition. Yeah. There are there are a large number of them out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the original, there's the counterfeit of the counterfeit. Yeah. But even on the original the boxes were never any good. And <laughs> if you can find one where the corners are anywhere close to a whole piece these days, that's worth getting. The ones with the torn up inner sleeves and the boxes which are flattened, eh, you know, you can find them for under 20 bucks. Okay, so yeah. Now, the sound quality was not great. The recording, the Beatles recordings were taken from uh, the Capitol mixes, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Dexter um, uh, recordings, so, and they were kind of copies of copies of copies from what I understand. So as you can imagine, the sound quality was not the best, <laughs> to say the least. But I guess for $14.99, what are you going to, what are you going to expect? <laughs> Although $14.99 is a, is a hell of a list price in 19, you know, in that period. True, yeah, I guess, you know, we're talking about But forthcoming red and blue would be much more expensive. Yeah, so that's true. So this came out, and I'm amazed that, you know, Alan Klein didn't jump on this immediately. But it, it wasn't, I mean, it was... Well, he probably had put out Alpha and Omega, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, he was well, working both sides. Well, he would do that with George later with My Sweet Lord, as we all know. And he was in the New Jersey area. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, but it wasn't, I mean, he didn't jump on this immediately. I mean, as I said, as we said, I mean, this was advertised on TV. I mean, this was not hidden. No, no, not at all. And when they did finally decide to do something, it's interesting. So from the very early point, they were calling this set the history of the Beatles, 1962 to 1966, and 1967 to 1970. So they already had the idea that we're going to have these two sets of two LP sets. And the front and back cover was already decided, you know, we're going to have the matching shots from the Please Please Me session and from the Get Back sessions. Exactly. And so eventually, Alan Klein filed, on, also on behalf of George Harrison, I think they both did, uh, a $15 million lawsuit. And that quickly, well, finally anyway, put an end uh, to this collection. Because the way the law read was, if there's an official version, you can't pirate it. Yep, exactly. But here's the interesting part. They noticed this collection did sell. (laughs) Copies, I don't know precisely how many, but there was a market for this. Plus, I think Alan Klein figured, we better 
put out a greatest sets collection, an official one, because this will happen again if if we don't act on this. Like say with the Star Club, six or seven years later. <laughs> yes, exactly. For example. Yeah, for just for example. So there's clearly market for this. This is going to happen again. So I think we better compile an official greatest hits collection. Now the Beatles themselves wanted nothing to do with this collection, which I think is really kind of strange. Although I guess they were still going through, obviously in the early '70s, the bad blood between them, the lawsuits. So in a way, maybe. You know, it's maybe it is no wonder that they didn't want to get involved. Now, of course, on the 20th anniversary, there'll be a pretty strong push that everybody will participate in. Um, and, True. Uh, there are wonderful photographs of George Martin and George Harrison out on the stump. Hello, folks. We're having a photographic session. A uh, little bit. One. I'd like you to meet somebody that is much more important than any, any of us here. George Harrison. George, would you like to come through? Hello, everybody, and thank you very much for coming. It's nice to see you all, and see you're still interested in the Fab Four. <laughs> I brought you some incense. <laughs> Lest we forget, all you need is love. Working for the Red and the Blue albums. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to talk about the lifespan of Red and Blue, which is remarkably long, shortly. Now, this comes to my question. This is the reason why you're really here up on stage with this, Dr. Womack. What did Apple, as an entity, have to do with the assemblage of the track listing? Uh, I've read that Alan Klein did it, and Alan Klein has denied it. I read that Alan Klein handed it to an assistant who just sort of went and scrawled some names and songs on there. But it seems to me like Apple themselves, Apple as a company, would have wanted something to do with building this set. Uh, and my understanding is, and my God, New Jersey's coming in again, that Alan Steckler, who lives in North Jersey, and of course was the uh, fellow that Klein had brought in to survey the contents of the Apple vault, he's the reason why no matter what was released as a single, he said, wow, this is a pretty good song. Why are you guys not activating this and making money off of it? Uh, my understanding is Alan Steckler had something to do with that too. He was, he was sort of Alan Klein's, for lack of a better word, Apple archivist. You know, he was uh, the person who still talked to Alan, at least at that point. Yeah. I've heard that George Harrison helped make some of the selections and was actively involved. He said that he hadn't listened to any of it, and when he saw the final track list, he just kind of said, yeah, it seems kind of incomplete. I mean, no tax man, for example. Especially the Red Album, as far as he's concerned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So hey, he got old brown shoe on there. So, yeah. I mean, do you or don't you think that George had anything to do with it? I think ultimately he probably didn't. I don't think that anybody was particularly active, but I would look to somebody like an Alan Steckler. Um, Alan was Alan's go-to guy for those kind of questions. Yeah, the, the response from the Beatles... Paul said he never listened to it. I didn't take an awful lot of interest in them, actually. It was what Paul said to Rolling Stone in 1974. Yeah, and I think John said something effective. He thought it sounded pretty bad. You know, that it, the sound quality wasn't very good. Something like that. Well, I mean, isn't that also the whole stereo and piece of ice cream thing? Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, so clearly the
you know, had little to no involvement in it. So, you know, and I don't think they really did pick the songs, uh, but there you go. But when it hit the market, it was successful. Yeah, I mean, instantly. You know, it was an absolute success story. And, you know, and it really showed that from this early time that fans were clamoring for this greatest hits. And, you know, as Ken just said uh, a minute ago, I mean, I think overall it is still an effective overview of their material. We could quibble about some things that were left off, but I think overall, you know, it is a pretty good representative. I think George is right, it's incomplete. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get every single thing, but, I mean, you know, it's still... It as is, far as an entree goes right. into, into the band, so, you know, I mean, all of this is presupposing maybe the larger question, which is, what's about to happen with this collection? You know, so far it has not been convoluted. It has existed and been remastered a couple of times. I think we're in for something completely different. <laughs> well, I think particularly since the CD era, when everyone said, hey, you can fit both of the LPs of the Red Album on That's one right. CD. So everyone's always said, why are you doing this? And, I mean, the rumors are, and you know, we're talking rumor mill here, that the new version, what's going to be released in September or early October, is three CD Red Album, three CD Blue Album. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the rumor that it's going to be expanded. Question. I don't know what. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why they would do that. Well, I mean, first off, they are looking for a place to put Now and Then out. But why on the greatest hits package? We haven't even heard the song yet. How do we know it's the greatest hit? <laughs> Sorry. Hi. If you need me uh, for the record, my name is Jim Ryan. And in answer to your question a few years ago, um, particularly Queen and Steely Dan had put out greatest hits albums that included new tracks. The fact that for Queen's album, they included the song Under Pressure, which became a major hit. Um, suddenly it became endemic in all music releases that that's the way to go if you want to try and do that have a new thing as part of your uh, Tom Petty did too with songs yeah. on the greatest hits album exactly yes speaking of keeping track of the numbers I had a moment uh, when you were talking earlier and according to measuring worth $14.95 in today's dollars would be $92.64 okay oh, wow. wow okay okay <laughs> thanks Jim which makes the original price of Red and Blue well over $100 these days. <laughs> but, no, that's, that's a very good point, Jim. That, uh, I mean, that does make sense, because that was definitely a thing that uh, Greatest Hits albums often had, like at least one unreleased track, and, and that was an incentive for you to then buy the collection. So that does kind of make sense, then, to, to offer Now and Then, you know, put Now and Then on the collection to get you to buy... The, the blue, uh, red and blue albums yet again, you know. <laughs> well, and, and you have to admit, one of the things that shows you coming of age as a, as a Beatles fan is what you add to red and blue. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone does it. It's the same as what about the one disc white album? Exactly. And also, just to point out, apparently the original plan um, for the, the collections was they were supposed to go with Neil Aspinall's 
planned documentary Long and Winding Road, but obviously that didn't happen, and that eventually morphed into anthology years later. But that, uh, but these were supposed to be originally supposed to accompany that. Do we know anything about? Were they thinking of a soundtrack for Long and Winding Road? I think they were, and um, you know, being part of Ed Chen and Co is as good a place as any to talk about this. The original title for it was Scrapbook mm. that Mal and Neil, they, they called it, and they worked on it for two or three years before it turned into Long and Winding Road. The objection, of course, by some of the other parties is that was a Paul song as the title, but uh, I do believe that there was a, a kind of soundtrack element that was part of that. Question. This is just a comment, but I was listening to uh, Peter Doggett's um, You Never Give Me Your Money. Mm -hmm. yeah. They were talking about Alpha and Omega, the, um, Correct. the, the pirate um, album, and they said that it was like inspired, as you were saying, by the Long and Winding Road soundtrack, that it was kind of like it, got, it somehow got out or there was rumors that a soundtrack was coming. And so they were like inspired by it. I've never seen anything indicating that there was a soundtrack out there. It's, it's certainly possible, but... I think collectively we're pretty well informed on what was on. Well, you know, you need to keep in mind that one of the hallmarks of the Beatles and then the ex-Beatles was people not taking advantage of them, right? And um, <clears throat> obviously Alpha and Omega would have been seen as that kind of move, just as the Star Club was later in the decade. There were all sorts of different kinds of products and projects taking place. The Ruddles, Sgt. Pepper, the BG slash Frampton film. You also had uh, All This and World War II. John, Paul, George, Ringo, and Bert. You know, all of this kind of stuff. Beatlemania. All of these would manage in one way or another to ignite uh, this kind of response that we're being ripped off here. So the idea of having a soundtrack to this project makes perfect sense because then you're controlling that aspect of it. But that wouldn't have necessarily even had to have been a greatest hits thing. It's a soundtrack. Right. So, all right. So before we uh, bring ourselves back around to the current day, as we were saying, the red and blue have really taken their place in canon almost alongside the original LPs. Whenever they reissue the Beatles albums in any format, there's always red and blue. Why are there two separate CD editions of Red and Blue already? They came out and was remastered, what, 20, uh, or no, 93. They came out in 93, right? Correct. All of the 87 remasters, and then we got yet another version. Now, I mean, the second version was kind of, oh, we're going to iTunes, so we're going to put that in. But they still didn't just leave it as a streaming thing. They released CDs in the thin cardboard sleeves at that time. The originals were in the clamshells. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, they've been uh, released over and over. And, uh, and then, of course, we're going to get them again <laughs> in a short amount of time. I think they have just become, and you know, we'll hopefully it's a little time to, to discuss it uh, here, that, you know, I, I think they've just become just a, a part of everybody's collections. I think they, you know, as I said, they become the gateway for so many people. They do provide, even you know, as incomplete uh, as they may be, they served as the introduction uh, of the Beatles to just a generation. You know, well, maybe generations, although I guess one has kind of replaced it with younger, yes for younger and, yes generations. Yes no. But, I mean, you know, as I say, one plus just didn't. Yeah, one plus didn't do it. And, but, uh, but one did. So what demonstrates that 
precisely is what Noel Gallagher said. He said, these red and blue are my favorite records because they were the first ones I ever had as a kid. Yeah, exactly. And, and many, you know, have said that. Uh, and, you know, and I think, as I said, they still serve as a pretty good overview, uh, you know, and I stress overview of their career and that they, you know, sold incredibly well in the 70s and they still stand up. Which leads us to right now, and I, I think it's kind of a cynical release, what we're about to experience. Um, I say all of this without holding it in my hands, without listening to it. There are still many frontiers we could revisit uh, with the Beatles. I wouldn't have picked this one as, as the, the next place to go. The anthology uh, seemed like a smarter move if you're going yes. to place now and then. Uh, they have been working on remastering that for the last several years. We need a better, cleaner, contemporary version of the anthology video series. Yes. You know, it needs to be available in other formats. But can they do that? The original filming of the Beatles was not of the highest quality. Of course they can. I mean, they can, you know, the can restore anything. We've seen that over and over again. So this is just a strange choice. And I wonder, to your point earlier, Ed, Will this be successful? Is this going to be the Beatles 1 plus? <laughs> I have a feeling it might be, or will they create enough of an event out of now and then to create a kind of robust response? You know, a lot of us were led to believe we might be hearing, what, Rubber Soul this year? Well, I mean, Giles told us that what he was working on was moving backwards and the, the next box would be help Rubber Soul box. Precisely. So... Um, we could have imagined lots of new aspects being generated by a project like that. I just don't know about this one. I think people are very conscious of what they're, they're spending their hard-earned money on, as they should be. You know, what is this, and, and what, what would justify us getting it? Is now and then going to be such a knockout that we just have to have it? And does it matter as physical media? Right, exactly. You know, yeah. streaming you have it all and have it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Because I was hoping when there was, you know, the tease about, oh, there's going to be this new release. I mean, I was hoping it was going to be the Rubber Soul box set, as I've been, I've been so, you know, excited about that. And yeah, and I agree. The anthology, I would have loved a, a you know, remastered the not only the documentary, but uh, but even the, the, an upgrade of the anthology uh, CDs. That would have been terrific too. But yeah, this is going to be fascinating to see how the Red and Blue uh, remix Red and Blue albums comes out. And yeah, they're going to have to really promote uh, now and then. You know, uh, so the excitement. And another question then is, who is advising them? Right. Um, I, I, I wonder this a lot. You know, uh, it, a lot of these choices never seem to respond from the conversations we have at places like the Fest for Beatles fans, right, where we talk about these very issues. We did this in an earlier session today. What are the compilations or projects you'd like to see next? I can't imagine this is on many people's tongues. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, hello, Paul. We're waiting for that next set of archive releases. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Back, back to the egg. Back to the egg. London town. New York, New York remix from uh, Lennon. That as well, although sometime in New York City is not because of the Lennon camp, it's because of the record company. You know, that's another topic we can say. Is this an Apple-oriented idea, or is this something that UME is kind of pushing on them? They are 
in charge of a lot of things, but ultimately UME is the big boss. Yes, no, what do you think on that? I don't know if I'm touching that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to keep in the good graces yes. of a number of people. Yes. <laughs> but what do you guys think? What do you want to say to us about Red and Blue? What do the Red and Blue albums mean, what mean to you guys? So, yeah. I have to agree with you on your point of Red and Blue because it was my first set of albums as a kid. You know, I, I was born in 72, and yeah, so you know, mm-hmm. it comes out, you know, relatives had copies laying around the house, and that was my introduction to it. So I can see the viewpoint of that, but like you said, they've already been remastered once. You're gonna have to do a lot more. That's my big problem with all the remastering is, One Plus, for instance, was, am I willing to pay $30 more for $20 content or $15 content where I can get off the internet, streaming, whatever else, it's available to us already. So you're gonna have to up the ante triple to get double. Excellent, in our, in our society today. Not only do you need to up the ante, right, but you need to provide content that is revelatory to us that, you know, I mean, how many versions do I have on my computer have come together? Yeah. That are the same recording made in 1969. I bet you 50, right? Uh, from many different kinds of compilations over the years. Um, I can almost guarantee it. So what does it need to be to be different, right? And with many of these collections lately, they've done it. You know, I learned a lot about Let It Be. Maybe not what the book intended was involved, but I learned a lot about the record by getting those new recordings or Sgt. Pepper or what have you. Even a few things on on the revolver. I don't know what this is going to glean for me as a listener to have another version of Come Together, unless you're going to provide me with some some new access to ways of hearing those sounds. Again, like isolations, etc. The Red Album for me is going to be a revelation. Not only are we probably going to see these things remixed to stereo, and a stereo she loves you has always been kind of the holy grail in the Beatles community. To the panel and to the audience, is Mal, the uh, machine learning technology, good enough to be able to provide us with good stereo separation on the, the first four, the ones that were originally declared by George Martin impossible to remix in stereo? I think it probably is. So Giles played extensive examples of the use of Mal. Again, they're slightly later in in terms of the period here, but they were quite impressive what he was able to do. And all of us now have ears that have been trained to know what terrible AI sounds like. We know what bad isolation sound like. We're all very good at this. And what what Peter Jackson's team is doing is quite impressive. You know, will, will it be enough, as you said, to be able to go into those early recordings like Please Please Me and, and really demonstrate something for us is, is maybe another question that will shortly be answered. If it's answered affirmatively, well, then maybe you've got something, right? Well, I mean, at the very least, we're going to be getting stereo mixes. We don't know how good stereo mixes of, you know, Love Me Do and everything up through the Hard Day's Night album. Sure, and you know, a kid brought up Davey Dexter Jr. earlier, and um, you know, it's not 1964 anymore. Right. You know, we're all, uh, we have access to everything under the sun, so you can't fool us now. Um, you know, it, it, it will need to be legit. Well, I mean, the, the rock band stems were 
almost but not quite good enough, I think. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, they had their, their own limitations, but right now, those limitations are mostly what we've still got to play with. And are we going to get fully Atmos mixes, full surround sound of the Blue Album for sure, and are they going to redo them because Giles keeps threatening to redo everything that he's done from Pepper Forward. I think you're, I think you're onto something with that, Ed, because they've invested so heavenly, heaven, heavenly, wow, <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, heavily in the Atmos technology, went to the um, Atmos version for um, Pet Sounds recently the, in New York City when they unveiled that, and Giles had a lot to say about that proprietary technology. I mean, obviously, that's where the money is. Incidentally, it's no longer proprietary. They they have opened that up to other selected acts. Sure, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know, of, I know. But in terms of making money, but for the longest time, it's always been this is for the Beatles and only for the Beatles. Well, that's not the case. Well, I, of course, because I was there for the Beach Boys. Yeah, so, <laughs> so my definition, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, but but to be able to activate and make money off of that technology is clearly a goal, and uh, we're, we're going to see how that plays. Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys is sort of a game-changing, iconic album. It changed the face of popular music. It influenced the Beatles to go and make Sgt. Peppers. Sgt. Peppers then influenced Pink Floyd to go and make Dark Side of the Moon. Sounds is a, is a fascinating record because it's really the workings of a genius, Brian Wilson, that had sort of a boundless enthusiasm for ideas and textures. There they are. The Beach Moving Pet Sounds to immersive means those worlds can be fully immersive. You can be surrounded by them. You can hear instruments you never heard before that are on the record, but they're now in a space where you can identify them. And, you know, I like the idea, I kind of like the idea of, that imagine you know, getting an old vinyl record, like Alice in Wonderland, and slowly sort of falling through the hole. And that's what immersive audio should do. It's almost like you are literally surrounded by the records you love. And Pet Sounds is perfect for this. It's an album of so much colour and texture and imagination. And that imagination becomes realised much more in the spatial realm. And for me to get a chance or be asked by the Beach Boys to work on this album, I mean, it was a huge honour and I was surprised and excited to get a chance to work on one of those iconic albums of all time. Are you into the surround mixes? I mean, some people are, some people aren't. I've been trying to convince Kit, yeah. go and get those AirPods. They're cheap enough. You, yeah, you can get Gen, Gen 3 AirPods for... Less than a couple hundred bucks. I'm looking forward to the new Apple Vision Pro because that's supposed to have the best surround setup in addition to all the AR, VR goodies. So you're, the Gen 2 on the AirPods are better than the uh, Gen 3, rather, are significant in terms of the difference from Gen 2. Yeah, well, Gen 2, you can't even do the spatial tracking on your head. You need Gen 3 of the AirPods in order to actually get the Atmos to play correctly. See, kids? Yeah, I know. Well, you really, I've had, mind I've had drop. Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> I've had this conversation with them, yeah. With both of us several yeah. times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am really impressed with what we've gotten so far, and it's only going to get better. I mean, Giles keeps yeah. saying that, oh, you know, Pepper was great for five years ago. And it's, well, okay, tell us what's going to happen. So open up your wallets again, folks. We're going to be buying, uh, what is our 10th copy? <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on uh, the Red and Blue uh, album, what it means to you? What uh, Was it your uh, gateway into the Beatles? Yeah. You know. I just really wanted to add one, one thing. I don't think the Red and the Blue is a good idea at all. I, I just think it's a terrible idea to re-release it. I don't think there's any, like, there's no market for it. Like, people nowadays my age aren't, like, into albums. And if you're into albums, you're into a, uh, an album with, like, a concept behind it, not just the greatest hits. Just listen to a playlist on YouTube or Spotify or anything. I just don't see the point. That is a great point. Yeah. We, we have made our own greatest hits playlists, all of us, right? I mean, I have several different versions of greatest hits playlists. And I, I don't see the market. And frankly, I don't know if there's the market across different generations of buyers, which may have been where OnePlus broke down. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, who is the market for this? I think it's Ed Chen. Yeah. <laughs> me and only me, they buy them. She gets the Gen 3 AirPods. Right. What's she not going to do? She's not going to buy them, are you? No, hell no. Yeah, she's not buying them. Yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to get her on. She the, still uses an iPad. I think you have an iPad Nano. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get her. I'll put the Vision Pro on her head, and then she'll be unable to resist. Yeah. Well, if anybody can, it. But no, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, Probably they're trying to aim for first generation, maybe mine, you know, uh, you know, Gen X. But, but yeah, I mean, younger, you know, you're right because you you basically, you know, on Spotify or whatever, yeah, you can assemble your own greatest hits. You know, maybe you'd be interested in now and then. That's right, but they don't have to buy this thing. I'll to just get stream it. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many different places will now and then be the day of its release? It's going to be on. Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, yeah, it's going to be on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You know. Physical record. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's not like we don't have access. As I've told several people, it's going to come out physically just because there are enough of us collectors who will pick up, I mean, the again, going back to the rumor mill, oh, they're going to put the three new, new, in quotes, Beatles songs out on an EP and stick that out in record stores and on Amazon for whoever's willing to yeah, into that, by the way. I think the most cynical and silly uh, trend of the last several boxes is the four-song EP. Yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you. Give us a freaking break. Yeah. I mean, I really... I, that it bothers me I hate that, that you're going to devote a whole disc to four songs. Yeah. Like it's such a novel idea that yeah. we just can't resist it. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. Preach. Thank you. <laughs> and having said that, I want the, I want a CD EP box. Yeah. I, I, want, I want a remastered. I want a CD EP box. The single box was actually a very good product. Oh, really? so, my mic dropped. Already. I can't go back. <laughs> oh, no. oh. Ed is getting so vociferous that he popped a lens while he was doing it. You know why? Because that's what Kit does to people. That's right. He makes them pop a lens. That's right. Hold on. Mic drop. Okay. <laughs> okay. You had a question. But to this point, with Spotify and whatever other streaming services you have, 
you're still paying, even at, even at iTunes, you're paying the monthly stuff. So in some, you're paying for what you're getting, but you lose it if you stop paying. Right. Mm -hmm. So where, where's the value in that? Because mm -hmm. now you have the physical copy where I can have it at all times without having to break my bank and pay for the next 10 years and lose it for something that's generally not mine, per se. We're just to that point where I get why you want a physical copy because now I can just drop it. Well, I recommend the 4K video and audio downloader. Um, <laughs> it will make yeah. every copy. Love it. Exactly. Love it. Yeah, yeah. you're done. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's nothing more embarrassing than having to announce that you're doing a mic. Yeah, <laughs> really. Well, I mean, yes, it's not the same effect. <laughs> yeah, yes, Lynn's palm does. That doesn't hurt her. So, I mean, Apple has never really gotten streaming. Do you think I'm correct in saying that? Well, they definitely were late to the party. It took them a while, I mean, a long while before they, I mean, when did they hit? Um, 2015. 2015. Maybe 2016. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but as we mentioned, they were late to the CD game as well. Yeah, I mean, it took a long time. And as I said earlier in the Generations panel, I mean, if they're going to be successful with, you know, promoting now and then and all, I mean, they, they have to also be savvy about, you know, about social media, about, you know, promoting this. I mean, you know, when we had the, the release of the tracks like Free as a Bird and Real Love, social media didn't exist then, obviously streaming media didn't exist. And so, I mean, they had to really hype up, uh, you know, create the hype in, in other ways. Well, now, you know, the game has completely changed, and so they're going to have to really be smart about this. And I mean, if they use social media and streaming, you know, wisely, uh, they might be able to create some excitement that way. But uh, I, other than that, I don't know. I mean, so it's the greatest music in the world. Yeah. They are privileged to be overseeing, that to have the custody of this music and its legacy. I think it's time to do a, a little bit more work in trying to understand what excites music fans of all ages and to understand what those next frontiers look like, and I don't see people doing that level of work. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's close with a little bit of now, and then since we've inevitably gone there, first off was Penn Jillette's leak slash not leak planned by Apple? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. Um, I think he was uh, speaking out of turn just like perhaps Paul was <laughs> yeah. when we first talked about now and then. Um, you know, I, I Well, think... going back to when he said, oh, I'm going to finish that someday for the Jeff Lynn special. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Penn Gillette may have gotten a little excited about, about it and just <laughs> wanted to talk and, you know, and I guess maybe I would have been a bit excited too if I got to listen to it. But, I mean, I knew, though, that I had to kind of take it with a grain of salt when he was talking about, you know, the, the working on it in the 80s and all this stuff. And I thought, uh-oh, red flag. <laughs> They're getting a lot of details wrong here. So, uh, but no, I, I don't think Apple planned. In fact, they probably thought we've got to remove this and <laughs> shut them up. Well, and, uh, you know, that's what they did. They obviously, and they sure they obviously sent them a letter saying, uh, Please take that out. Mm -hmm. But I mean, then why did Giles talk to him? <laughs> That's a mystery. I mean, yeah. I By the way, Ed, you can say 
by the way, don't tell anybody about this to people, and some people do not get the memo. <laughs> My suspicion is still that Giles was leading uh, in down the garden path with a little bit of false information. The, oh, this will get people riled up. Yeah, Paul's vocal was DH with AI. You know, and yeah, I I thought that was strange. I mean, I I thought now when Paul talked about the song earlier this year, he kept saying, "Oh, it's AI, it's AI," and I just kept thinking, I don't think he quite is means what he is thinks he means. I mean, I I figured he meant, you know, Peter Jackson's technology, machine learning, not AI. Yeah, exactly. I, I figured that's what he meant. You know, and he just kind of was using AI as a catchphrase, in a, in a way, a catch-all phrase. And oddly enough, Ringo has been the one to report the most truthful version of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when he explained it, I was like, yeah, that's what I thought, <laughs> what, what Paul was trying to say. So, I mean, the details, which do seem pretty solid, using a an outtake of because as the basis of the George Harrison vocal, or I mean the Beatles vocal as it were. I, I, what do we think of that? I mean, I think that is certainly what's going to happen. That bothers me a lot less than, you know, I think Penn Jillette was saying, oh, they're going to take some Beatles harmonies from this song, and you know, it sounded like, like Frankensteining it or something, and I thought, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, that's not really, I think, what's what's going to happen. But they're keeping, I think, George's original guitar solo that he laid down from the original sessions. The one that he didn't think was good enough to be released. Oh, but, but he said that about the whole song. Yeah. Rubbish is the optimal word. Yeah, he was not apparently a fan of, of the song. And uh, and then I think you know, Ringo recorded some new drum well, parts. changed Olivia's mind, do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Ringo recorded some new drum parts. I'm assuming Paul um, also recorded some, you know, maybe some new vocals, some some new guitar parts. Yeah, I mean, what Ringo said is that there's new drums, there's new bass, and that's all oh, we yeah. uh, we recorded or we have recorded this time for this version that's coming up. Well, presumably that excludes strings and and or horns if there are any of those. I mean, we know that Giles did the arrangement. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting. Yep. Are they giving Jeff Lynne producing credit since he sort of worked on it back in 95? I would think. Actually, I think they are. So a are copyright drop, they had his name on Yeah, the, the, copyright, the copyright notice did come out, oh, yeah. uh, at least in England, like in the last week. Yeah, Lynne was credited on that copyright that I saw. Okay. Production credit. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And there's an act, actually a new publishing company, what, Downtown Publishing? Yeah. Which is because they are crediting it to all four of them. Right. Okay. So. Yeah. All right. Anybody have anything to say about now and then before we close up shop here for today? Nope. I just think it's going to be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see uh, how it sounds. And, and I would think, you know, probably the, the sound technology will be, you know, quite a leap forward than what we had in Freezeburg is great. But obviously, I think it's going to sound very, you know, much clearer, very different than the technology of '94. It, it will be fascinating to see uh, first, as you said, the technology, and then to go back to Ed's point: mm -hmm. how will this fare in the marketplace? Right. Yeah. Going to be very. Is this another, you know, one plus, or is this is going to be something that is, creates a new frontier for them? 
again. I'm sure hoping that they start to listen to us, the people who, you know, love and adore this music. Yeah. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so my concluding question on that, should they also use the machine learning, the mouth technology, and do new mixes of Real Love and Freeze the Bird? I'd be for that. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going down the rabbit hole anyway, go whole hog. That's right. Whole hair. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> all right, so before we all drop our mics and then put it out of his VP. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and Ed, fanboy that he is, will buy the, <laughs> the whole the whole whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, let's close out with final thoughts on Red and Blue. Is it pointless to for them to be issuing the new greatest hits, or what should be done in the future? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not, admittedly not super excited about this re-release, partially because I'm, I'm just not quite as connected about red, uh, to Red and Blue as I'm, I'm sure you know, some of, of you are. I mean, just because my introduction was different. But if the mixes are good, particularly the early stuff uh, that we haven't heard yet, it could be an interesting uh, listening experience. You know, I guess I'll reserve judgment until... Yeah, until we actually get it in our hands, because, well, there wasn't an announcement this week like the rumor mill was telling us there would be. Is it cynical that half a rubber sole is going to be in this box? And several more tracks from uh, Health? I think it probably is. And, um, you know, the one concern I know that they do have at a certain level is, are we creating new generations of fans? And... First of all, the answer is yes. The music's going to do that anyway. We know that one generated, uh, what, an enormous apocalyptic, uh, <laughs> world-eclipsing response in, in 2000. They may be on to something, but I think my distinguished colleague here, I don't think that's what uh, youngish fans are interested in. I think they already know they have these songs. I think people of all ages are interested in how this amazing music was made. Star Club. Yeah, and, and a lot of what we're going to get here is, you know, is just more of the same achievement. Wonderful and unsurpassed and unparalleled as it is, it's not the same thing as giving us a window into into that music and its incredible progression. And so I asked them, have you heard the, <laughs> have you heard the uh, de-echoed Star Club tape that's out there? I've heard one from Lord Reef. That, that is the one I'm referring to. I love to. that one. That it, it is, is amazing. It do what an amateur with PC level tools can do, much less what... All of his remixes are perfect. I love yeah. them all. Much less what Giles Martin is going to do with this. Wait, Although, wait. I mean, some people, particularly those of us with not pristine ears, yeah. are not really fans of the Giles Martin remixes. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ken's <laughs> already yeah, dropped his mic. He's yeah, he's not <laughs> And so it goes. So we are waiting on actual information. Uh, we still believe that the end of September or early October is going to be the release date, and all we can do is wait and see. That's right. All right, thanks to Co, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Kid O'Toole and Dr. Ken Womack. If there's any more questions, we'd be happy to take them now. Where was the, uh, the Star Club? Yeah, it can come the Star Club de-echoed, where is that available? Uh, we cannot reveal that. It is available through internet outlets. Let's leave it at that. Okay.
What I will say to you is do not purchase a copy. There are places in Japan that have pressed it to silver discs and have put them out. But Lord Reith, the gentleman who did the de-echoing and putting the collection together, gets no funds from the Japanese who are pressing these discs. So in Ringo's words, somebody's making a dollar. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. One thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals.
but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.